I was talking about how I've been able to become more comfortable hearing my voice out loud or like watching my face on video. And it's an app where you send video messages back and forth to your friends. And so instead of texting, you just record a little video and send it to them and then they can listen to it when they're ready to listen to it. And then they can send one back to you when they have time. Um, But the cool thing or the funny thing about it is that you have to get over your self-consciousness because you're looking at your face and you can't not be distracted by things that are going on on your face. You know, like, oh, what's that blemish on my skin? Or I always think that my hair looks completely different in Marco Polo than it does in real life. So I look in the mirror, my hair looks great. When I get on Marco Polo, it's different. And then I can't, like, I stress out about it. And all the friends I Marco Polo with say that's my thing, that I can't get through an entire Marco Polo without talking about my hair and how it might be out of place. Is that So in Marco Polo, that's the first thing you go to, not how different your voice sounds than how you hear it. Well, the fir- when I first started Marco Poloing, I noticed that I only talk out of one side of my mouth. <laughs> so I obsessed about that for a long time. Um, but yeah, no, I think I've gotten comfortable with my voice. It's more just like an appearance thing now. Well, the whole mouth thing, that's a left brain, right thing, brain thing. One of the tests, one of the elements of the test to determine whether you're right brain or left brain is you have somebody have a big smile and one side of their face goes up more than the other. And that's one of the indications of like their which- brain dominance. So that's that. uh, that's kind of a tell as to what your brain dominance might be. So I'm very interested about interested about this. What you said right away mm-hmm. that your voice sounds different and that makes you uncomfortable. I absolutely feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Now you're a therapist. Mm-hmm. How do you feel as a professional listening to yourself talk about being uncomfortable with Marco Polo, how you look, how you sound, and your hair? <laughs> What would you hair. What would you tell yourself in a therapy <laughs> if session? If I was a therapist? I mean, if I'm <laughs> giving myself therapy? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, it's, to, it's so different when you're not watching yourself, right? So if someone came to me and was talking about needing to not be self-conscious for some reason, what would I tell them? I don't know. Probably I'd give them some kind of, you know, A, affirmation that they're fine just the way they are, and then B, maybe some kind of like mantra that they could tell themselves to, you know, in their mind over and over so that they can work through that discomfort, you know? I don't know. Just I'm okay or I'm I'm just the way I should be, you know? I, I mean, the Marco Polo process was really interesting to me because I felt like I had to get over my self-consciousness to be able to use this medium to communicate with my friends, and I really loved it. Um, I loved the medium, but I didn't... I didn't necessarily want to participate because I was feeling really self-conscious about it. But I actually attribute it now to me really getting over just some of the stuff that I didn't really need to be dealing with anyway. It's a it's an entire last decade or, or two of Facebook, Instagram, all these messages, all this content, all this visual. I mean, you can take great pictures with your phone and upload them. I mean, getting over yourself is really <laughs> kind of something we have to do these mm-hmm. days. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is, do you see people within your practice having trouble with their confidence, self-confidence? Is that a, is that a starter to a lot of greater problems in people's lives? Um, I think it, it probably just comes along with some of the problems that people come to see me for. I wouldn't say that, I mean, I'm trying to think lately what people have been seeking my services for and, 
you know, typically it's some kind of situation in their life or repeated pattern or behavior that they can't quite figure out. They can't figure out why it continues to cause them pain. And so they come to me to, you know, help them get to the bottom of that. Confidence is probably related a lot of times. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that I've had a lot of people come to me um, with uh, conflict in their relationships. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know how that, I don't know how confidence relates to that necessarily. But, you know, I think probably most people that seek my services have, have some kind of struggle with confidence in their lives. So we're visiting with Melanie Logan. Melanie is a therapist. She has a counseling practice called Joyful Living Counseling. Tell me, yes. Melanie, tell me about Joyful Living Counseling. Why Joyful Living? What does that mean to you? Um, I'm glad you asked because coming up with a name for my practice was kind of a, I, I found that to be really challenging, very difficult. Um, I wanted it to speak to, um, what I believe in, speak to the people that I wanted to come seek my services. And, and it actually came about because I had been going through a lot of personal growth in my own life and the things that were sticking out to me when I would listen to podcasts or, or seek, um, like literature that I was reading or just conversations that I was attracted to um, had to do with happiness and happiness research and um, finding ways that people find joy in their lives or, you know, just what makes people happy and content. Um, so I kind of went down this path. And, and when I decided to start my practice, um, I don't know, I was just like, what, what do I want to say? What do I want to say to people so that they, they will want to come and ask me for help? And uh, I went through a lot of different names. Naming is really challenging. For me, I have children, and the hardest thing about children was naming them, you know? I can do all the other stuff, but, like, picking their names was really hard for some reason. Um, but, yeah, Joyful Living came about um, because I just, you know, I'm really into helping people find joy in their lives. Mind Your Business is all about building your personal capacity. Personal capacity is what is needed for you to grow in your career, make great decisions, and become a person of influence. So sit back and enjoy this content as I share with you insights and stories, examples, and personal challenges designed to do one thing, build your capacity to change your world. How did you know that you wanted to help people? When did that start? When did the dream of being a therapist begin for you? Hmm. Okay. So I just, in my life, things just kind of come into my path when they need to come into my path. And I've learned over the years to really just pay attention to that, right? And kind of ride that wave of life. Um, I started out, my undergrad is in education and I was a teacher, um, and I did that for a very short period of time. I think two years probably was my teaching career. And during that time, this is this is really how it happened, is I worked in North Tulsa with, um, I, I was a pre-K teacher, so they were four and five-year-olds. Um, 
I'd, I'd never been exposed to the kind of poverty and just situations that these kids were living in. Um, I felt very pressured by the school to um, provide them with this education and like push them into learning math and letters and things like that. But what I was seeing in my classroom is that they were not sleeping at night. They were not necessarily getting fed, you know, full meals and that they really needed this kind of nurturing and not this teaching is what they were expecting me to do. And so after that first year, I just kind of thought to myself, you know, how can I, how can I, you know, design my career around being able to nurture instead of educate? Um, and now I do both, really. But um, that's when I decided to get my master's and become a therapist. So I started out working with kids, and that that's just kind of how that progression happened. Your credentials, you're an LPC. Mm-hmm. Is that licensed professional, pra- professional? counselor? Okay, mm-hmm. good. What do you think is the biggest challenge in what you do now? What's your biggest struggle that you deal with? Well, um, you know, for me, honestly, my biggest struggle is like keeping up with the paperwork. It's like the the stuff about the job that that is not does not come naturally to me. I'm a people person. I'm not a paper person. Um, so for me, it's kind of just making sure I stay on top of the business aspect of what I'm doing. Um, now, if if I want to talk about the challenge in terms of counseling, it's really just resistant clients or people who. Uh, struggle to um, find insight or gain insight into their problems, people who get stuck in repetitive patterns and really can't, like, you know, I feel like I'm uh, making things like, uh, like I'm bringing awareness to stuff going on in their lives, but they just can't see it or hear what I'm saying. Um, That's really challenging. And, you know, people will, I've had clients that will come in week after week after week after week after week and eventually I have to tell them you know I feel like we've been working together and I've been um, guiding you and providing you with different feedback and that you are leaving here and not doing anything with the information that we or what we discuss in here and um, you come back the next week and I I actually told someone the other day I feel like it's Groundhog's Day when you come in for your (laughs) sessions I had to tell a couple that because they were very miserable and angry and you know, it was almost like we were just repeating a session we've already had four times. So. Do you ever get in situations where you're worried that you might not have guidance or you don't know what to do? Uh, yes. And if that's the case, <laughs> are there fundamental principles that everybody should have in their life that help them to move on, to live more joyfully? Um. Okay. So, yes, I oftentimes feel like I, I mean, I say oftentimes, there are definitely occasions where I'm just, I don't know. I don't know what kind of feedback to give or I'm feeling stumped with uh, some information that someone's sharing with me or I've got this person who's continuing to tell me the same story and I can't seem to figure out how to get them to hear what I'm saying. Um, You know, I don't, I, as a therapist, we do have these sort of basic skills that we can always fall back on that, that we know and, and you know, research uh, over time has shown these to be effective. And, and they're really just kind of these fundamental basic human skills to use with people um, that, that just creates a sense of connection, a sense of listening, um, a sense of being heard. Um, and those are Carl Rogers is one of my favorite psychologists and he, we, when you go to school to become a therapist, they teach you these fundamentals right at the beginning. Um, and he just, he, um, he built upon these like three basic 
skills to use with people. And and one of them is um, what we call active listening. So it's when somebody's talking to you, you tell them, uh, you kind of paraphrase back to them what it is they've said to you so that they know you're you're present and you're mm-hmm. listening to what they're saying. Um, the other one is unconditional positive regard. So basically it's that, you know, no matter what kind of information a person is giving you, you're you're not you're not coming back at them with judgment, right? It's like, okay, this is a safe place for you to say what you need to say, and and I'm going to accept that. And then I knew this was going to happen. I can't remember the third one, but um. those are fantastic. <laughs> you got being present mm-hmm. or active listening, and then unconditional positive regard. Mm-hmm. Wow, those mm-hmm. are powerful. Mm-hmm. That's one right there that would be a challenge for. That's like an acid test. Could you be a counselor? Mm-hmm. Could you sit in front of somebody and hear? horrible things come out of their mouth and not be judgmental, but love them and try to migrate them into a better place mm-hmm. in their life. Mm-hmm. And I actually oftentimes in life get that feedback from people, not just professionally, that they feel like they can be themselves around me. And so, you know, I do think that's part of why I started, um, you know, why I was attracted to becoming a counselor in the first place, because um, I received that feedback when I was younger. You know, my friends when I was a teenager would say, you know, I just feel like I can tell you anything. And, um, you know, they would tell me things like, you're, you're kind of like the mom of the group. You're really nurturing. Um, but I have definitely, over the years of being a therapist, developed like the best poker face ever. <laughs> because people tell you things. And, um, you know, it's rare today that I can get shocked by what someone has, what somebody says to me. But, um, you know, you definitely have to have this demeanor that is really welcoming when they're giving you this information that can be, that I think a lot of people would react in a shocked sort of way. You know, their mouth would drop and they would, you know, act very judgmental. So now I think you started out in helping, guiding, counseling children. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. What, that must be an, an enormous challenge in that you're trying to help a child and yet their family condition or the situation may be something that's just devastating to listen to. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes. I've, I've worked with children in pretty awful situations and, and even sometimes they've come to me and they're, they're maybe no longer with their families because of abuse and you, you have to read um, the things that they've experienced. And yeah, there's some very tragic things out there that are happening with kids. And um, I, Part of why I transitioned into working more with adults now is because, you know, there's a pretty high burnout rate when you're working with so much um, trauma and stress and tragedy in, in, in people's lives. And I worked more with kids who had behavior problems and, you know, just that's that's stressful when you do that all day long. Kids are coming in and they can't sit down and they're running around your office and, and you just have to always be on. There's really no... Uh, there's not a lot of relaxation time when you're we're seeing client after client that is high energy and, and can't really seem to... Emotionally demanding. Mm-hmm. How do you recover from a day? Let's say that you've got a day and you're back-to-back-to-back clients mm-hmm. and you get to the end of the day and you're emotionally spent. How do you recharge? <clears throat> How do you have enough for your own personal relationships when you've given so much to someone else? Mm-hmm. Um. That's another wonderful question. I'm so glad you asked that because one of the things I'm really passionate about in life is self-care. And um, I am very dedicated to my own self-care. And and that doesn't mean that I just wait until I have a really stressful day and I recover from that. It's that I actually take all these proactive strategies to keep myself 
um, kind of the best version of myself that I can be so that I can deal with tough days and, and hard days. I would say now... Um, now that I have my practice and now that I, I have really settled into this niche that I'm into, I get pretty um, inspired and, and energized from work, which is really cool. It's fun to leave the office and just be like, oh, that was such a great day. And I have all this energy and I feel really wonderful about what I've done. Um, but there are still hard days. And, and really the way that I manage that is that I, you know, I, I exercise regularly. I have a very active spiritual life of my own. You know, I keep self-help uh, really at the top of my list. You know, I start every day with prayer um, meditation when I can. I read, I, I'm always, I'm always reading something um, that applies to my own life and that I can also take and use um, at work. And so that's really how I manage my stress. When I wasn't doing that in my life, I certainly had a much shorter fuse and stress affected me. Um, just, it, it was much more powerful in my life. But today, because I, I'm really, it's just really important. I prioritize self-care. Um, I find that the, the bad days are just much fewer and farther between. You, you mentioned earlier Carl Rogers, who's a thought leader in, in therapy and counseling mm-hmm. strategies, et cetera. What other authors or books have you read that people that are listening might say, that, was, that would be great for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's, what's a favorite that you've got? Well, right now, the, the, there's a few women authors that I'm really into. One is Marianne Williamson. I love her, love her, love her. She is a spiritual writer, and um, she follows this. Uh, it's called A Course in Miracles, and it's just kind of a spiritual approach to life and everything, really. Um, and she has many, many books. I think I've probably read most of them. Um, so I have a daily reader of hers that I read um, every morning, and I'll usually read a few of those. And um, Brené Brown is one. She's actually, I can't actually quote what her credentials are. I don't know. But she um, she's more of like, a, she's an academic, and she does research. And she's one of the ones that um, she does, she re- researches shame resilience and vulnerability and how we can learn to speak our truth and be more authentic, right? So that our insides are matching our outsides. And um, because I, this, in, in counseling and when working with people, I say a lot of times that most of our pain exists between um, an expectation that we have or an idea that we're supposed to be and what is actually reality. And in between is where all that pain exists. So the more that we can get our insides to match our outsides or our reality to match our expectations or, you know, to bring our expectations closer to reality, then we're going to eliminate a lot of the pain that we're feeling in our lives. And um, so she's one that really kind of um, has inspired that thinking in me and that the path that I uh, try to take clients down, and then um, I have another author who she's she's a she's a blogger, and um, she she became popular because she woke up one day and decided um, that she needed to start writing because she had all these things going on in her mind, and she she set a goal, and I don't know exactly what it was, but it was you know for thirty days I'm gonna wake up every morning and and just write my thoughts on Facebook and. She started doing that, and, and she started getting all these followers, and people were just really loving what she was saying and were very inspired by her, and her name is Glennon Doyle Melton. She's been on, I think she was on, like, Oprah's reader list, and Brené Brown, um, I think, caught wind of her, and, and they've, uh, I don't know, I don't know if they've worked together, but they definitely talk about each other. Um, 
but she's, uh, she just kind of has lived a life that was full of pain and, and she just started writing and she has this like beautiful gift of, uh, putting into words the struggles that a lot of humans go through. She really can write it down in a way that just captivates you and makes you want to read more and more and more. And even if you haven't, uh, you don't relate to her struggles, she just, she's very gifted at being able to talk about sort of the things that we think about um, but don't necessarily say to other people. So, and then currently I'm reading a book called The Universe Has Your Back, which I love. And that's by a woman named, I think her name is Gabrielle Bernstein. Yeah, so I'm really into those female authors that have this. Um, it's like a balance between you know self help and spirituality, and and this idea of like learning how to just be more authentic. If you were going to write a book, mm-hmm. what would you write about? Well, I mean, if I was going to write a book, that's funny. I was going to write a book once. It had nothing to do with what we've been talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to write a book about potty training, but I call it potty choosing, and I have this whole philosophy about that, which is really interesting. Um, so I was going to write a book one day. It just never happened. Would it be uh, a short book, the potty training? Would it be a, like a toilet read? Man, I think it would be a life changer for people. You think so? Yes, because people put so much pressure on themselves for their children to use the toilet, and I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I think we're all going to do it when we're ready, and I have this whole system. I mean, and I've helped families through that, taking the pressure off of themselves. And Well, I mean, it kind of relates to what I was talking about before, is that parents have this expectation, um, and not necessarily that they put on themselves. You know, society puts a lot of expectations on parents for that, and, and then they get wrapped up in this whole you know, really conflicted system of trying to make their kid go to the bathroom. And I'm like, they're going to just do it when they're ready to do it. And it's really not, we don't have to make it so hard. I think this, what you're talking about, this potty training element is there's societal pressure, pressure that if you're a really good parent, these things happen. If you're really good, Mm -hmm. doing a good job training your child, they'll already be here. Yes. If you're, if you do all this stuff right, this is the result you get. You mentioned earlier that you're a spiritual person Mm -hmm. and then in the environment of, spiritual people or religious people, that can be an enormous amount of social pressure. Mm-hmm. It, it, the kind of pressure where you you look at what is being told to you by the religious community about what life's supposed to be, and you look at your real life, and there's a gap there. Mm-hmm. The difference between what's being preached in the pulpit, as an example, mm-hmm. and what real life is. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that to be a very troubling, very interesting element of life Mm -hmm. is not just your own pressure about what you want to accomplish, but the pressure that society, life, and your community, being if your community is a religious community or an academic community or your community puts pressure on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, And and to me, I think that that falls in that same category of expectations versus reality, right? You know, and um, one of the one of the sort of populations that has been coming to me a lot lately are these people, mostly women, that's who come to see me, but their life um, on all accounts looks really wonderful, right? They have the husband and the kids and the car and the job and the, you know, all the things that our society tells us we have that, that makes us happy, yet they don't feel happy. And and I love working with those people because, you know, I think what you're talking about is that, you know, a real life is is it it has this honesty to it and and the expectation is that you know maybe we don't 
maybe we're not feeling what we think we're supposed to be feeling. And, and th- there's that gap. It's just always about the gap to me. You know, what, it's, what is somebody telling me I'm supposed to look like? What is somebody telling me I'm supposed to be thinking? You know, what is somebody telling me my behaviors are supposed to be? And oftentimes people underneath the surface, that's not necessarily where their instincts take them. You know, that's not necessarily where their thoughts are going naturally, but they don't feel comfortable you know, in their religious community or in their social community saying that stuff out loud. And and one example I can think of, we've talked about parenting quite a bit, um, is moms that, you know, have those feelings of like, I just don't like this right now, you know? I don't like this. It's hard. I don't even like my kid sometimes. Um, but they certainly don't feel comfortable going out into the world and saying that out loud. But what they don't know is that probably 99% of the moms around them have had that same thought. They're just not, uh, they don't feel welcome or they don't feel okay expressing that. And, and when you can't express stuff like that out loud, you can't really get the support that you need in order to be, you know, the best mom that you can be. And, and that mom thinks, I'm the only one saying that. I'm the only yeah. one that feels like I don't like my life. I don't like my kids. Mm-hmm. I don't like my husband. I don't like my marriage. I don't like my right. job. Yeah. But I can't say anything right. because no one else says that. Uh-huh. We all put up our, our guard and we put the best face on. So let's say that an individual wants to find a great counselor, mm-hmm. a great therapist. How do they How do they? discover that great connection with somebody? How do they pick mm-hmm. the best therapist? Because just my experience was when I finally matured as an individual enough to need to know mm-hmm. that I needed counseling and I should go get help, mm-hmm. I went through counselors <laughs> left and right, right. until I connected because yeah. I was not going to get advice from somebody I could not connect with. Sure. Yeah. And I think that right there is probably the number one best piece of advice is that you know, it's like anything else that you seek in your life is that you have to have some kind of chemistry or connection or you may not be open to listening to what that person has to say. Um, so I, you know, it's like if I were telling you um, how to find a, a good endocrinologist, I would say talk to your friends. Does anybody have an endocrinologist that they really love? And, and word of mouth is a really great way to find a counselor because, your friends probably know a little bit about you and would be able to say, I see this person and she's really great and you may connect with her. Um, and and their, Psychology Today is a website where therapists have their profiles and you can go through and, and there's a snippet on, you know, we all have to write a bio of ourselves and what we believe in and how we practice and a little picture, which is nice because then you can kind of get a sense of what the person looks like. And going through Psychology Today is probably how I would say... 80% of my clients find me, you know, the others are word of mouth. And, um, but yeah, there does have to be an element of chemistry. It's difficult. And I don't know that anybody wants to go through five counselors before they, you know, decide they've, they've found the right one. But I think giving that permission is probably really helpful. You know, people may think that they're supposed to just trust this person because they're an expert but you know there has to be a relationship and and it is really important I tell people that when they come into my office for the first time I have a spiel that I go over you know and I talk about let's you know 
I'm going to introduce myself to you and I'm going to get to know you a little bit and we have to find out if we think we can work together. And if we can't or you're not sure that that's the the right fit for you, then I will absolutely help you find somebody else to be able to go see. TV shows and movies are just filled with scenes of therapists that come up with the marvelous miracle at Mm -hmm. the end of the 30-minute episode Uh or the four minutes of that scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you ever get times where you just run into a, a a wall have you ever had to fire a, a client and say you just can't come here anymore uh-huh. yeah I've let people go and then they come back <laughs> they find a way back that's the funny thing I'm like what happened I fired you <laughs> um oh my gosh I talk about uh tv therapists all the time because people do come in with this um belief that I am a mind reader and that I'm, I'm some kind of, well, you know, like on uh, Law & Order SVU and he's like a forensic psychologist and he can be like, I know what has happened to you based on, you know, the way that you moved that paper across the desk. And it's like, no, we can't do that. We're not mind readers. I don't, I don't have that ability. I also don't have a magic wand and can't make things better for you by, you know, saying a, a some kind of chant. Um, so, Yes, I talk to people about that all the time. Honesty is my, I have, I go over honesty with people so much in the first several sessions. Um, A, I tell them that you have to trust me in order to be honest. So I'm going to do what that, whatever that takes for you to trust that I'm going to be here and I'm going to listen and I'm not going to share your stuff with anybody else. Um, Because in order to change your insides, you have to get honest about it. And we spend so much time in our society not being honest with ourselves. That's the first person we're not honest with, right? We trick ourselves and we tell ourselves all these different things. And and then we have these defense mechanisms and things that kick in just for protection. Um, and, And when counseling really starts to work is when people can really start to get honest so I tell them that I'm like I can't read your mind you've got to do that for me and I can only work with what you're bringing me but I'm not going to expect you to do that right away you know that's a process some people have spent 40 years not being honest with themselves so I don't expect that that's just going to unravel when they you know sit down in my office I I think they really have to they really have to learn to trust me before they can um, start to, to share. And I have I have moments, I love my job, and I have moments where you see, like, somebody's, they're thinking about something, and then all of a sudden they're, they're like, okay, okay, I'm going to tell you this. And then they tell me something they've never <clears throat> told anybody in their lives. And it, I always get goosebumps when that happens because it's really magical to just to have earned that kind of trust from somebody that they're going to share a big deal with you that they've not shared with anyone. And then usually they come back with feedback. It it happened just the other day. Um, One of my clients said that she had now shared this information with someone else in her life because I had suggested that she do that. And she said, I heard your voice in my head. (laughs) And, And she just, she was able to connect with a family member by sharing something that she'd been keeping for years from them. And so... If you make a recommendation to someone and they're adamant that they're not going to do that, but you feel strongly that they should, Mm -hmm. how do you overcome that hurdle? (laughs) Well, I I might just say exactly what you said. I might say, you know, you're telling me you're not willing to do this, but I feel pretty adamant that if you do it, it's going to change your life. So, you know, maybe... 
maybe think about why you're so unwilling to do it. You know, let's not let's not make you do something you're not willing to do, but how about we take a step back and figure out why you're so unwilling to do something? Um, because, you know, when we can kind of work backwards, we'll start to uncover pieces of the puzzle as to why they've gotten so resistant. And, you know, that does happen. I might say, you know, you're having relationship problems with your mom. Why don't you just call her every day and say hi or tell her you love her? And you'll see people, their whole body language will change um, because they're just like, uh, no, I'm not doing that. And then we talk about why, you know, why they're not doing that. And, and we may check in every week, you know, did you call your mom once and tell her hi? No, I couldn't do that. And so, yeah, and I don't always know what's best. You know, I, I'm the therapist and they come to see me, but I trust people to know what you know, to know their own timing. And just because I think something is the right thing, you know, it may not be. And and then I can get creative with my thinking, you know, well, maybe I'm on, maybe I'm putting my agenda here and, and it's not really what needs to be happening in this situation. Earlier, you talked about being present and that mm-hmm. part of the importance of being a therapist is the ability to sit in front of someone, listen to what they're having, what they're saying and being present in that moment and really paying attention. That's a problem for everybody. Everybody in every conversation fights their mind wandering off and doing something else. How do you, What are, are there any tricks, are any tr- tricks to the trade or any secrets that you could tell us? And how do you stay present? How do you keep your mind from wandering off when somebody is disclosing their whole world? And maybe they're rambling mm-hmm. and it's really not that interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that happens. <laughs> Believe it or not, that happens. Um, I, you know, sometimes my mind does wander, and and I will tell you that one of the, you know, tricks, so to speak, is is this active listening because you cannot repeat back to somebody what they're saying to you unless you're actually listening to the details. And this is a skill that I teach couples, right? Because oftentimes couples stop listening to each other. Um, they, they've heard it. They've heard it all, and they know what the person's going to say and and um, so I teach active listening because if you need to know the details, you need to summarize what a person has just said to you. You have to really listen to the words that are coming out of their mouth. So I like to just take it back to basics. You know, if I'm struggling or, you know, if I feel like that, you know, it's just kind of hard to really pay attention to this person, then then I'll say, what are the basics? You know, my basics are making this person feel heard, making them feel accepted, making them feel welcome. And so I'll just take it down to, to that basic level. And then really, sometimes it's that I love I love being um, what I call congruent with people, I might say to them, you know, I'm really struggling to listen to what you're saying. And I wonder if other people in your life struggle with that too. <laughs> right. And then they get to go, huh, maybe. And and maybe they get to reassess their, the way that they're communicating with people, or maybe they do ramble a lot and that, that um, interferes in their relationships. And so then we get to use it therapeutically. Um, if if I can bring some kind of uh, congruence or authenticity to the situation, you you have your own practice mm-hmm. called Joyful Living Counseling. How how did you go from getting your license all the way to a full practice? How do you because you got to fill that time, you got to pay those bills, mm-hmm. you've got to you you got to handle life, mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen instantly. No, it doesn't. Um, it's been I, so I got my master's degree in two thousand seven, so it's been about ten years and. Um, as a therapist or a licensed professional counselor, we are required to be under supervision for 3,000 face-to-face client hours. Is it 
I don't know if it's paid, 3,000 supervised hours before we can get our license. And so in order to do that, most people work at an agency, right? We all put our dues in and we work for an agency. We kind of just take the clients that they give us and really decide um, what it is that we're gifted at or what we feel like we want to do. And so I did that. I did that for five years. And then I went to work for another little family-run agency. And, and I sort of started a counseling department there. I was their first LPC. And, and we started hiring people on. And, and, you know, I just, I worked there for as long as that really lasted. And um, then I kind of moved on to another family run agency. I mean, it's just been a progression. And um, thinking about my career, I will say that I have, I have probably been the biggest obstacle in my way of having a private practice because people in my life have been telling me that for a really long time. You should do this. You should really go into private practice. No, no, no. I'm very scared. <laughs> I'm really scared of that. <laughs> I need somebody else to do all the hard stuff for me because I don't have the, the confidence that we had talked about. You know, I didn't have the confidence to do that. And it took a lot of time. Um, which, you know, I will say was probably the time it needed to take for me. Um, but it took a lot of time for me to get the confidence to to even try or really even open myself up to that journey. Um, so people have been telling me probably for eight years, you need to have a private practice. No, 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 I'm not doing that. And what's funny is I sought my own counseling Um, from a woman that I had taken a training by, and she was wonderful. I went to this training, zero expectations. I was just trying to get my uh, continuing education credits, and and that day I was crying with her, and I was, like, writing all this stuff down. I mean, she was just this really wonderful, inspiring person, Um, and I decided to go see her for counseling. And so as I was working with her, she would tell me, you know, you're – I think you're really good at this. This is pretty easy. I think you could do it. And I would say, no, no, I'm scared, you know, and, and, you know, there's a lot more to that. But the bottom line is it was fear. And, and she just one day told me another time, I really think that you should do this. And that day I walked out of her office and I started looking at office space and I just started researching what it takes to, to have a practice. And it was so much easier than I had built it up to be. You know, I wouldn't say that it's easy, but I would say that I had really complicated the whole situation. Um, and within, I think, about a week or two, I had a space rented. And I was going through the process of getting an LLC and picking my name and um, figuring out how I was going to accept, you know, certain insurance and what my payments were going to be. And, and, and I had it started I think within a month after she really gave me that last bit of encouragement. I wonder if the confidence that you gained by overcoming a hurdle like starting your own practice Mm -hmm. has actually made you a a better and more well-rounded therapist. Yes, I think, yes, it absolutely has. Um, Because, you know, when, when I... When I go into a therapy session without confidence or, or thinking that I don't have the ability to do that job, um, you know, effectively, then of course I'm not going to be provide, providing like the right kind of feedback to people. And, um, and I think too that, that because this is really mine and it's something that I've, I've been able to really do for myself, um, there's just a passion that comes with that that keeps me fired up and keeps me inspired and keeps me reading and keeps me researching outside of being there. You know, it's like, so what I found about having a private practice is I probably work more than I've ever worked before in my life, but it, you know, a lot of it doesn't feel like work because I'm just, you know, I'm doing things for me and I'm doing things that, 
uh, I'm just, feel, you know, I keep saying passionate and inspired, you know, but that's how I'm feeling. And so when I'm sitting at home on my laptop, you know, researching things or, or reading about ways to market myself, it doesn't feel like work. It just, you know, it's just part of what I'm doing now. What does your practice look like five years from now? Who will you be in the future? How will you have become different? In five years? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, I, so I started out, you had kind of asked about my, my path and, and I still right now I'm just transitioning out of this family run agency that I've been working for because I wanted to keep the safety of that while I was growing a practice. And I've had a couple of friends lately. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just down to my last like handful of clients there and probably within two weeks, I'll be fully private practice. I started in March of this year. So I've had a couple people that say, you know, just it's less than a year and you are, are doing full private practice. And it's not that I set out with any kind of goal like that when I started, um, which I think was helpful. I really was just like, okay, I'm going to try this and see what happens. Um, but to me, that's pretty you know, it's just incredible to see how quickly that journey took place. So I don't really know what it looks like in five years. I just know that if if I continue on the trajectory I'm on now, it's just going to be wonderful, whatever it looks like, you know, if that's that I have um, some other therapist working with me or, you know, I don't know, do I get bigger? Do I stay the same size? I'm just not really sure what that looks like. But so you're at you're at a point we call the jump off point. It's the point at which you're you're grounded to something safe, mm-hmm. but you're growing something that's your own. Mm-hmm. And we know that if you'll let go of the safe, mm-hmm. your own will take off. Mm-hmm. It's called the jump off point. It's okay. a very important like concept in business that and what really what we really know is that when you're able to cease diverting your attention to a job and go on to your own career, things just take off. Mm -hmm. But there's a fear there. There's a fear of letting go of that rope and sailing off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've experienced that fear for quite a few months now. And and the, the funny thing is, is when I really sit down at the end of the day and break it down, it's, it's just so clear that I, like I said, you know, leaving my private practice, I have this kind of energy that I've never really felt from work before. You know, it's it's not work. It's just what I'm doing now. And and really, if I just think of it in terms of, of income, you know, I, I my potential and ability at the private practice is so much greater than the other, but I was holding on to the other thinking that it was safe when really it's actually more lucrative. It's it's better for my just overall well-being. But but yes, the fear is incredible how much it makes you hold on to something that, but it's safe. This is what I know. I've been doing it for so long. And then I have a sense of obligation to people too, which, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But I, I, I signed up with this agency and they expected me to be working there. And, and they've been great and they've been supportive and they're still being supportive, more supportive than I could ever have asked for. Um, they're they're going to use me for as a reference and they've they've encouraged me to um, uh, be able to get on other insurance panels so that I can take a lot of the clients I've been seeing with me um, to the practice and that's not really that's kind of unheard of wow that's amazing in in the agency community so I just feel super grateful that I'm in that it's so exciting to listen to you say that even as a therapist as a strong mental confident individual 
you still struggle with and working on confidence. You still struggle with, you know, risk and taking a risk, just mm-hmm. like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. It's nice to know that the therapists are human as well. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely human. <laughs> I mean, I, I bring so much of my my humanness into what I do. You know, I have experience and, and I like to share that experience with people when it's appropriate. And and I believe it's it's a really valuable tool to use, right? If somebody sits there and thinks my life is perfect and I don't have fear and I don't struggle and nothing has ever been wrong in my life, then then I don't know that they really can connect. And, and so, when, like I said, when it's appropriate, I'll share. I'll say, yeah, I've totally been in a situation like that, and I didn't know what to do for a long time. Um, and, and, and when I was doing a lot of parenting work, you know, just talking about the fact that, yeah, sometimes I don't want to go home and, and be a mom to my kids. And they're like, well, you know, I can't believe you're saying that. Yeah, because that's reality. That's what happens. And so, yes, of course, I struggle like other people. Well, I would like to say thank you so much, Melanie Logan, Mm -hmm. for coming and spending time with us. I'm hopeful that this was so fun. I'm hopeful that in a few years we reconnect and say, okay, now, last time we talked, you were right at the jumping point, Mm -hmm. the jump off point. Now that you're two years down the road, what does life look like? Mm -hmm. How is it different? So you're with Joyful Living Counseling. How do people get in touch with you if they need to get in touch with you? Um, So I have a website, joyfullivingcounseling.com, or you can also see my Psychology Today profile. You just go to Psychology Today, and you can either put it in the search um, Joyful Living Counseling or Melanie Logan, and I will come up there. Wonderful. Again, thank you so much. This has been just wonderful to have you. It's been really fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mind Your Business. Please check me out on Facebook and Instagram and be sure to send me a message if there's something you need or want me to talk about. You know, the great motivational speaker Zig Ziglar once said, you can have anything in life you want as long as you help enough other people get what they want. What does that mean for you today? That means if there's something in this content that is exciting and really resonates with you, pass it along to your friends. Share it. Let them develop and become strong in their thinking, in their motivation, in their knowledge, just like you are. Together, knowledgeable, you and your friends will change the world.